0: Hello and welcome to All Stats, Aren't We? a podcast in which Leeds fans cast a combined eye over goings on at Ellen Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Adam Elliott, the on point counterpress of the podcast. You can kill the man, but not the idea. And I'm joined today by the Dan James striking from the edge of the box of the podcast. I am inevitable.
1: It's Martin Riley. Martin, how are you, mate? I am doing very good. Thank you very much. Have had my tea already, so and uh, always good. Had some uh, pie and mash and beans, just a standard meal, but nice and warming on a cold winter night. Night today. How about you?
0: Lovely. Yeah, I had um, pesto pasta with parmesan. It's really nice, actually. Good it's stuff. pretty basic, but does does the job. And um, I just can't believe we had to make a slight uh, allusion to. Um, Jesse Marsh there. Uh, d- didn't enjoy it very much. Thanks for putting that in the intro for me. But yes, we are here today to discuss the Plymouth Argyle game at the weekend at Ellen Road, the 2-1 victory. But first of all, we'll discuss some of the news. There is actually quite a bit of news this week, more than usual. So first of all, we'll discuss maybe some of the injuries that have come up. Um First of all, Jamie Shackleton and Gellhart have minor injuries, but I don't think they're out for too long. But the two major ones that are affecting the first team at the moment that we know of, are Pascal Strouk and Sam Byram. Um, what are your thoughts on Pascal Stroke first, Martin?
1: Yeah, that that one is obviously going to be a, a big miss. I'll well, be fair, both of them will be a big miss because they're both quite key players to the way we build in early build-up and Byram going forward as well. He's becoming quite a key part of our play around the box as well. So both of them will be quite simply missed. I'm hoping... That Byron isn't too long, apparently just the one game, but I think they're still waiting on assessments when Fat gave his little bit there at the end of, end of the game. Um, but Strauch looks like it could be a little bit longer. He's got a bull hernia, which he needs surgery for. Apparently he had been playing for it for a bit, so he's been soldiering on on probably too long, longer than he should be, have been, so he needs sorting out. So as soon as we can get him fixed and better, the better really.
0: I agree. Um he did actually say Daniel Walker that he'd been playing at eighty percent Stroke, so he said like if he's playing at eighty percent what's it gonna be like at hundred, which is nice to hear at least. But yeah, the the hernia thing usually is quite a quick one to recover from and he's already had his surgery. So you'd hope that it's not too long, but I think some Things I read were like up to sort of five, six weeks. It could be from when he had the surgery, which you'd assume was pretty much straight after the Leicester game. So you might eat into December a little bit, but hopefully not too much. And then, yeah, uh, Byram's was a hamstring strain, wasn't it? So you don't know how how bad that could be. That could be. Like a really minor thing where it's just tweaked it and he just needs to rest it, or it could be quite serious and they need to be really careful because you're not, that could be out for, for quite some time. Um, the other news is that uh, Finlay Gorman, one of our brightest young talents in the academy, only 15 years old, is heading to Manchester City uh, for a record fee for a 15 year old. It's a seven figure fee. Don't know exactly what it is, but it's in the 1 million region, um, which is a bit of a blow, you would have to say, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, it um, is. I saw the videos that were going around with him a while back. And yeah, he was a very right prospect, and it is a shame to see him go. But ultimately, there's not too much we can do in these sort of situations. And um, there's not—it's it's weird, had the way the contracts work when you're not 17. I think you have to be 17 to sign a pro deal, don't you? Or maybe 18. So yeah, there's not too much that Leeds could do about this. I think the fee that we're paying is more a development fee, or is it like a compensation fee kind of thing, rather than a transfer a transfer fee. So, yeah, it is disappointing, but I can understand why a lad would want to, to move to Man He'll get paid a lot more wages there than what we would, even at his age. And a lot of good players have come through those ranks. He just has to work very hard to stand out amongst all the talent they've got in their youth squads.
0: Yeah it's a shame that they can just hoover up talent like that but they're one of the best academies in the world now and this is pure speculation but you'd imagine that they're probably doing quite a lot for him and his family in, in this move and, and sorting them out and stuff like that, that is pure speculation, I don't know if it's true but it probably is correct um, and then the last piece of news which has come out just before we recorded this podcast is uh, our Under-21s coach which is something you and Dan will be focusing quite a lot on, they're going to need a, a new one now because Michael Scuballa has left to join Lincoln as their first team manager we've seen a few Under-21s coaches do this now to varying degrees of success. You had corberan going to West Bromley who's done very well and then you had um, Jackson going to uh, was it MK Dons that didn't work out so well. So yeah we'll have to wait and see. I don't really know how much i can comment on what scuba was like as a coach i don't think we really saw it that much from him in those four games last season i think it was very much still jesse marsh's football just a, a slight variation of it um and i, I yeah I, I just can't really say how good he wants to be so if there are any lincoln fans listening i'm sorry i can't give you too much but i wonder what you thought about it
1: I, i'm saying i don't really have too much to say about it um the tail football in the 21 that i've watched is relatively similar to what far has so, I think he's just been u- using that as a blueprint and trying to do, do, work the players into that. Um, but yeah, that it could be a decent coach, it, it, it could be a uh, tragedy, who knows? Um, it's, it's not that it really the with the little first team coaching knowledge we've got of the guy because youth coaching is a totally different fish to senior coaching, and a lot yeah, of, it really is a lot of different challenges involved not to say that youth coaching isn't challenging of course it, it is as well but it steps up that other bit of level you've got more um, focus on what you're doing and you've got, more, you've got media to deal with and all the rest of it there's a lot of pressure on your shoulders so it's a, a lot different to youth coaching and I do, I do hope that he does well you can see like he's a decent decent enough guy from the, the interviews that we saw of him when he was in charge for last season so yeah we'll just have to see how this goes and hopefully it does well
0: Yeah, I agree. I hope he does well as well. Um, Can't help but wish him well, but it'll be interesting to see who we bring in as well. And yeah, you're you're completely right. It is different challenges at sort of youth level with coaches because some of your best players can just get stripped from you um, at any time, really. Like sometimes they... There might be a shortage in the first team. Players get taken out to fill the bench. Sometimes, uh, you know, they can be doing so well, some of those players, that they look at them and they go, right, we need to get some of these guys out on loan to get some proper first team experience. So it is a really different ball game. So I'll have to wait and see. I'm, I'm excited. I think that Project to Lincoln's pretty decent. I'm actually a little bit surprised they've gone with Scubala. thought there were, there were a few coaches out there on the market that they could have gone for. But fair enough, they've gone for a bit of a left field choice in the end, and I hope it works out for them. But yes, we are here today to discuss the Plymouth game. Um, before I do that, we'll just go into a little game summary first, and that goes as Leeds approached this game with the usual four three one one shape that we've become accustomed to, with Argyle switching from their usual four three three 3 of this season and going back to the 3 3 uh, they predominantly deployed last season. Leeds dominated possession in the first half, with Argyle struggling to deal with our counter press when we did turn the ball over. Leeds made the most of these counter-pressing moments, creating two goals from high turnovers, first thanks to a culture finish from Dan James and secondly with a well-placed finish from Joel Ferreau. In the second half, Plymouth were able to impose their game more, but Leeds managed to prevent them making more of their good territory. Leeds continued to dominate possession and were good value to extend their lead, but weren't able to extend it in the end. Plymouth were looking to attack us in transitional moments, which paid off in the 84th minute with a close range finish from Ben Wayne, making for a nervy final 10 minutes. However, Leeds were able to see out the win and the game ended 2-1 to give us, I think, six wins in seven now. So apart from that Stoke game, we've been pretty much perfect since Southampton, um, which is really good. And we go into the international break with another win and only eight points behind the likes of Leicester and Ipswich Leicester also dropped points again, thanks to a goal from Sam Greenwood. If anyone hasn't noticed, go and watch it go and find it on youtube it's great um but yeah we'll go now into the interrogation i'll ask martin a set of questions and we'll just discuss some of the key talking points of the game Um, firstly straight in with a question about our pressing as i've talked about already from rob biggins one of our absolute favorites from the discord he says is our possession
1: getting better martin i would have to say so and which seems that a definite change in the way we are approaching teams off the, off the ball and it seems to be really generating chances. Um, we have been, been up there with the best in the league when it comes to pressing for quite a bit of the season but the data hasn't really translated on to seeing that on the pitch and there have been quite a lot of moments which I personally haven't been happy with and I know a few other members of the pods also were in the same boat that, that we weren't happy with the press which we were employing but now it is seems to be gelling together and we've Worked around the problems which we were having with the bats and found solutions to get around those weaknesses, shall we say? And it's really come together. And I am really, really enjoying our first approach at the moment. I kind of like John McKenzie. <laughs> not going to lie, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's good to enjoy watching Leeds out of possession because it's been something which I've not really enjoyed for quite some time now
0: damn you, John. You're infecting all our minds. But yeah, for sure, like our possession went much better. And I'm like quietly impressed with Farka recently in his different approaches to games and situations. I think he's shown more tactical nuance than I thought he actually had in his locker. Um Obviously, this hybrid approach, we've been seeing a little bit more of where a man-to-man high press, which quickly drops back into a mid-block if it fails is really, really good. I'm can't really complain and in this game, like we've talked about in the game summary, two of the goals, both of them came from good pressure and good pressing in high areas. And yeah, that's what you like to see. It's good to be able to generate chances in a multitude of ways, and that has become one of them now for us as well. Um, but yeah, there's other things I'm, I'm really impressed with. I, I don't think we get caught out as much on the break. I know we did concede one in this game, kind of in the, in one of those moments. We have conceded goals like that this season, but I wouldn't say it's happening as often as it was at the start of the season. I think the rest defence has really tightened up, and I'm quite interested to see what happens next when players like Spencer back into the fold, which he's going to be after the international break, and how that might look. Like Obviously, he's got the pace to get back, but we're going to have to restructure that slightly because he's going to want to get forward. That's what he's good at. So I'm really, really interested to see what he does next, but... um. Glad that he's shown more flexibility than I thought Daniel Farker, I would say that I'll give him the credit for that um and yeah, um, why have we seen an improvement? do you think in our pressing approach if you could? outline it. I've kind of talked a little about it with the, the hybrid approach that we've
1: we've talked about,
0: but yeah, what would you say, the changes that have been made?
1: Yeah, so in, in the past two games, we've like you said, mentioned there, we, the hybrid possession approach, where we are in a man-to-man phase around the opposition's goal kicks, especially. Um, you'll find players getting close to everyone. sort of so passing options are, are limited, so you'll have whichever side the ball is played to, so if goalkeeper plays it out to so the left centre-back, say, then you'll, you'll find one person closing them down and then the other person putting off the packing lane back to the goalkeeper or the other centre-backs. And then the defenders will sit close to these hacking players for, for when they drop deep and cover their runs and try to nip in in front of them and intercept the balls so that are going to play to them. So yeah, it's that's a, it's a really good approach that we've built in. And the reason why it's been effective and more better than what we were doing before is because it means, it keeps Joel Perrault pressing... Role simpler. Rowe's been taken out of the front line, the first phase of the press, which is um, a a three-man press in the first phase, and he's been dropped back into the second phase. So it it means that he's got less spaces to cover, and it makes it easier for him because with the man marking approach, he's just got to stick on his man, and that's that's all he has to do. Whereas when you're in the first line, you've got to close down different passing lanes, you've got to curve your runs more. So it's a lot more simplistic approach and it makes sense. And that also continues when we get into the deeper phases. You see Perot not being part of the front approach and being a little bit deeper and keeping the track on the midfielders rather than the centre-backs, just to say. So yeah, it's, it's working very well. And I liked the changes that Farkas come to it. And it's not something that I ever really saw from his time at Norwich. So it's good that he's implementing new ways to Get around the issues that we've had, and it's clear that he identified that we've had these issues as well. Because otherwise, these changes wouldn't have happened. So I'm, I'm actually feeling quite good about all that's that week since we've identified that these weaknesses were there, and now we've seen changes to rectify them. So, it's to us as well.
0: Oh yeah, I'm sure loads of clubs use us for for yeah. analysis of other teams. Of course, I'm sure they do. <laughs> if anyone doesn't know what I'm talking about. um check some of our recent replies uh, <laughs> you understand on Twitter. Um on X, sorry, we're not allowed to call it Twitter anymore. But yeah, I, I'd large check what you say, you kind of touched on it there with the Perot stuff. Um his responsibility just being lessened and the sort of importance of players like James, Somerville, who are not only more intense pressers, but also better and faster so they can cover ground better. Um is being leaned on and yeah, in all the ways you described it's it's much, much better. And i and I'm happy because Farker has had to do this, like we said, but he's had to do this not only because Perot's a, a weaker presser, but because in his systems previously, he had a actual midfielder in the sort of attacking midfield position. It was a, a, a way he could drop into that 4 3 3 shape. We don't really do that as much with Perot because um, he's more of a forward rather than a midfielder. So he's wanting to be occupying in those sort of spaces, I think, naturally. His tendency is to do that. Um, whereas a midfielder there, which we have done a little bit at the end of games to see them out uh, a few times this season already. But in general, that's what he's had with Norwich in the past and things like that. And speaking of Norwich, I think that the pressing since that game has just been much, much better. That was the game where it just felt really gung-ho. It felt really not that coherent. The spacing was off and now it's tightened up and players seem to know when to go, when to drop in. And it just seems like just much more put together, I would say. So, yeah. Um, Anyway... We created a number of chances via our pressing and the high turnovers, um, but and not many via consolidated possession. Is this concerning you yet, would you say?
1: No, because as long as the chances are being created, I'm not as fuss as to where they're coming from. Um, both methods of creating chances via consolidated possession and via these high turnover moments where we do generate them it's something which is used widely across all of football. Um there's no one team who will just No, I'm not going to take advantage of this high turnover, I'm going to pass it back to my centre back. That's not how we score goals. No team in the world will do that. Uh, all all the best teams in the world have a certain approach with a mind to try to win the ball high at the pitch in some in some way. Obviously not to the extremes of like your Red Bulls, Jesse Marsh, um, who has no no ideas in Can we Stop saying his name. God <laughs> I feel I feel like it's a, a topic, an area where we could maybe say his name a little bit, because it, <laughs> it, okay. it is his thing. But yeah, the, as long as we are able to create chances when we do have possession, which we are able to, which, and there were a few moments, a few in the game which were good and were created via controlled edition. As long as we are a- able to create them when our test isn't on form, then it doesn't concern me. It's when both of those things aren't working at the same time when it becomes a problem. And I think with certain games, there'll be less need to make these high turnover moments, teams who won't try to entertain our press and who will just go more direct straight straight away. Whereas guy was trying to play through the press. So it made sense to take advantage of that and try to create these moments. And we put them under a lot of pressure in this game. And especially their goalkeeper was just, he could not go. I know you were quite effusive about young young Cooper their goalkeeper in the last pod.
0: Um, yeah, I think more as a shot stopper. Yeah, I didn't realise yeah. he was so weak with the ball, but yeah.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine there's not there's obviously not as many high pressing teams in this league, Um, so it will be something which a lot of keepers like will struggle with when they're moving across a team who does a good out of possession approach. So yeah, that's well, it's, 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 it's made me delighted to see him moving out. Nothing not against the lad, but I just enjoy seeing this sort of pressing and. <laughs> It worked very well and created a lot of good chances. And just speaking a little bit about the chances that we're creating from high turnovers, um, according to the Opta, the, the analyst's website, which they have, where they put all sorts of advanced stats about championship clubs and other things, um, the stats are looking very good for us. We've got the joint most uh, goal-ending high turnovers, so basically I got the goal which goes after a high turnover. Um, that's five, joint with Sunderland and West Brom and we have the most shot ending I turn so I turn over which a shot with 33, and the closer to us there is Ipswich. Oh so yeah, we're, d- we're doing well and in that sense, we are creating these chances and as long as these chances are being created, it does not bother me really. I'm not sure what you think.
0: No, it's really interesting, isn't it? I, I just didn't expect us to be so high up on those metrics. Like, if you, I think recently, yes, but over the course of the season, it's felt like something that's improved with time, but it seems to be that it's something we've done pretty much since the first game. Maybe it's just got better and tighter, but it is interesting that we're, this, we're towards the top end. I think it's still fair to say that we're going to be a better team when we can attack in transition. Um, we're going to be at our best. I think most of our players suit that, and that's completely fair to say, especially when we take the lead and, and force the opposition to start going at us a bit more aggressively, but if we can force high high regains high turnovers and do that then great i'm all for it i'm not concerned at all i think there's a multitude of ways you can create chances and that's one um transitions are one you know concerted possession is another um we have some sort of small patterns of play that are forming as well but i'm i'm kind of fine with where we're at in terms of attacking which is something i wasn't going to say maybe three four weeks ago because i think that I was a little bit concerned about some things, but now I'm just not. Cause I think we just create in so many different ways. Like even just individual skill and talent level at times is just enough to, to do things like Georgie Rutter, for example, is probably a great example of that. Crescentia Somerville. So like it's fine. Like we, we become a, a team that don't just attack in one way, you know, or don't look to attack in one way. We can attack in, in a diff- loads of different ways, hurt teams in loads of different ways. And that's really, really good. Um, but yes. Um, we'll move on now. Um, I wanted to ask you about the second half a little bit. Uh, did anything change in the second forty-five for both sides? Uh, some of our fans were a little bit concerned with the the second half and said we weren't as good, or that Plymouth got better. Or, like, how did you see
1: it? Essentially, I don't think too much changed between the first and the second half. In all honesty, um, from the, from the rewatch, I've, I kind of felt in like after the live rewatch. That, sorry, the live watch, not live rewatch. I'll do my then. Uh, after the live watch, I, I did kind of have a similar feeling that Plymouth were a bit better at playing through our press, and I think that was true to an extent. They were able to get by it more and we didn't cause them as many problems with our press, but also we weren't as intense with our press, so I think that was kind of us wanting to draw them out a bit and to try to attack in transition, which is what we did. And um, We did create lots of ch- ch- chances via transition, and I think we could have scored two... Or even three goals in the opening like twenty five minutes of that half it, from from my rewatch. So I, I don't have any concern about the second half. I think we just didn't get out lucky with inches in in that in that period. And I think there's the one which Perro kind of scuffed a little bit when it he wasn't meant to be. I don't think the pass was meant for him, and he sort of intercepted it. It he was heading towards Ruter and he sort of pinched it off his toes and a scuffed shot which kind of went in the air and people, people was able to save it or maybe it was one of their defenders who was stood right beside him. I think that's what happened. But yeah, there's that one and then there's obviously a chance which he unfortunately put off the bar which was a good chance. And so yeah, there, I wasn't concerned and I didn't really create anything really other than the goal. The, that was their biggest chance by far of the game that was a massive chance and just put it in contact there. Total XG in this game was 1.4 and that chance was 0.84 xG, so, so the game they only created well, that's 0.5 xG, and one of the, the blocked shot for 0.21 in the first half. So all I'm afraid was quite spread out on quite low-rated chances. So now, in short, I'm both well, not concerned about the second half. I'm not sure about you.
0: Um, I, I, I still couldn't work it out on the rewatch whether we intentionally dropped a little bit deeper, like you say, to attack in transition more or whether they pressed us a bit higher or maybe a tight a tiny bit of a mixture of the two. Um I don't think they were like dramatically improved though. It has to be said, I think we still had the generally speaking, the better of the chances, more possession, more territory when we could create um and we're more consistent with that. You mentioned a few there with the Perot one and the Ruta one. There was that other Routel one. That was a decent chance. Um and then there was the Anthony one, which was just a genuinely excellent save. I can't yeah, believe Cooper saved that. That was a, a really, really good save. That looked like a goal, for sure. Um But yeah, I, I, the only thing I would give Plymouth quite a bit of credit for in the second 45 is I think that they made the two pivot, pivot players for us probably the least comfortable they've looked uh in recent weeks. I think the last time our pivot looked this uncomfortable was probably the first 45 against Stoke. Um I wouldn't even say Leicester really did that. Um so it's been a little while really um and that was with Kamara and Ampadu which is generally speaking our, our best pairing as well so that was a little bit concerning but it wasn't too bad like they were both still had decent games it's just like they were maybe looking a little bit sloppier or, or not or a little bit shakier with the ball um and that's all I would say on that really but generally like we were the better team still i don't think that if you rewatch the game, a lot of people talking about it during it and, was like, and were like, oh, you know, 2-1, like, oh, we should have had that to bed. Well, yeah, we should. And then the, the same people were saying, oh, I didn't like how we played in the second half. Well, those two things don't align. Like, if we played quite well, if you think we played quite well in the second half and deserved to put the game to bed, then you also don't think that Plymouth played that well either that we, and we were much worse. Our finishing was, but we were still creating pretty well. And I don't think it was that much different other than we were maybe just – being engaged a little bit higher in their press but that's about it. I think they only had one shot on target in the second half I believe I can't remember exactly, I think it is though um, so yeah they they weren't really doing much with it even if they had a tiny bit more of the game in that half but they had to right, they had to because the game was, the game state was at 2-0 so they, they had to come on to us a little bit more but yeah like we say we we score and make that 3-0 and the game looks completely different in my opinion. Um, I think it could even have gone more than that if we get the you know, we get the third goal rather than them. But it doesn't matter. The three points is what matters in the end, and we played well enough for them. I think that's the main thing here, isn't it? And and people seem to be losing their heads a little bit over the Huddersfield and, and this game, second 45 minutes, but I'm not too concerned. I don't know about you, but I'm not too concerned.
1: No, it's not really much of a concern to me that we didn't put it to bed. We put up on another day, 4 or 5, and these things happen. is um, a thing for a reason. There's this, this very variance and players who sometimes will bury a shot bury a shot will finish it next next game. So yeah, we definitely create enough to comfortably win this and not be under pressure for those final ten minutes. And I think you mentioned there about the shots on target that I think there was in total across the whole game, there was two saved shots and a goal. So yeah, that they didn't create a lot themselves and in the second half we had, I think, two saved shots. Especially the like you mentioned, the Anthony one was a very very good. He turned the XG on that lot higher than what it should have been. Um, FBRF has a shot at 0.05 XG, and it, the push shot XG for that is 0.56. So he, he he really got a good shot off from where he was, and that was a good save. So, yeah, I think we... Very good save. Yeah, 0.56, very, yeah, very good save. Exactly. So, yeah, I'm not concerned about it. I think there was a lot of things at play there, and another day we easily bury it.
0: Yeah, um, essentially, I'm not that concerned. We didn't make our dominance count for more goals we have in other games, but as long as you are consistent, creating more than the opposition, that's good. It's annoying more than it is like concerning. I would say. Um, I think that's probably the main point. Um, if you're creating more than the opposition on a consistent basis, you'll win games like Watford and Huddersfield by three or more goals, which we did in both of those games. But against Bristol City and Plymouth, we played well in both of those. We've only won two, one in both it's just one of them as long as we're winning i'm not too bothered there will be games this season though where we play well and don't win or we draw or whatever we lose whatever and fans are going to say the same thing or oh, we haven't played well today and we'll be like no but we did though because we still created more throughout the game you know whatever but that's just football fans for you they they seem to lose their heads a little bit we were fine essentially in the second half and i don't think people need to you know be as wrapped up in it as, as they have been um but yeah like on this did we come away thinking Plymouth were one of the best teams to come to Ellen Road, like our guest on the preview predicted? What would you say?
1: So they, they were decent, oh, um, and it's been pretty poor showing so far in the games at Ellen Road. There's not many, really been too many teams who have a of good performance. i would say the closest would maybe be Cardiff, um, since they might to get get a point so got to give them credit for that, and they did a lot of nice things I like the way that they move the ball forward and they've got a lot of players who can get them forward in those traditional moments well and but at the same time we, we were able to create quite a lot of chances and this game could have easily have ended 4 nil. so I think probably on par with the ones who have seen so far I wouldn't say maybe clearly better than the rest of the teams that we have had at all enjoyed I don't want to be harsh to them because I do like them as a team but that's just my genuine feeling
0: Personally, that like we were more unlucky than they were good. I think they did some good things, particularly when they crossed the halfway line uh, or around that area. Some of the players they could get on the ball. The Mumba was pretty good, to be honest. And we were maybe a little bit lucky with that that penalty call from Ampadu um, and stuff like that. But in general, like their build up was pretty (laughs) shaky to say the least. A couple of their centre backs really didn't look comfortable with the ball, and Cooper didn't look at all comfortable. Their goalkeeper with the ball, Um, that might be mostly to do with our pressing. But I couldn't say fully because I don't know the technical level of all their players but I wouldn't say all of their defensive players looked super good in possession Um, and I know they won the league last season but a lot of people that watch League One would tell you, and it's kind of borne out this season. is which were definitely the best team in the league, especially in the second half of the season, and probably deserve to win the league in the end. And Plymouth were probably riding their look a little bit more or relying on individual moments, but a little bit more than, than other teams in, in that sort of race. Even Chef Wednesday were pretty strong at the, back. I know that seems shocking considering how they started this season, but they were pretty strong at the end of last season as well. So. Um, I still think they're a decent side, like you say, and I think they'll probably stay up, but I wasn't that impressed. I think there's been other teams that have done well. Um, they didn't really put concerted pressure on us until the last 10 minutes or so, would you say? Not really, I wouldn't say. At any other point, I was like really concerned by them, only when they, they kind of scored and then they kept kept up the pressure a little bit in that, in that last bit. But that's it, really.
1: Ready to pop the question?
0: We had a question from our editor, Paul. Paul says, "Thoughts on Captain Coop's performance and who was at fault for their goal in your opinion, Martin?
1: Based on that, well, based on the on the goal, which uh, I, I think there was a it's more of a collective thing than one one individual. And um, some, some have said Surpo. Now, for me, Surpo wasn't to blame for that. He was." with his marker. He was marking Malcolm um, Whitaker, which is probably their most dangerous player. <laughs> so yeah, he is a player who you want to mark. And the run from, wasn't it Randall? who was Yeah, the run from Randall was very well-timed, and the ball to him was also very good. Um, then where it was, was a collection of Roden, Cooper, and Melier all ball-watching. I've watched this goal over about five or six times, and none of them were really paying attention to what the other, other ones were doing. So you had Cooper moving towards the, the man when Anthu was pretty much with him anyway. So we, he, he didn't need to move to close to the man if, if he would have tucked further in and he could have stopped the cross from getting over. <laughs> that that uh, hit him there. And also Rodan was not aware of the run at all because he was so badly ball-watching. He, he didn't see the, him ghosting in, in front of him. He wasn't aware of where the man was and which was the striker. <laughs> he needs to be aware where where the striker is. I don't want to be too harsh with because I felt he had a really good game. I was really impressed with his defensive work for 99% of this game. But mm-hmm. in that moment, he did switch off and was just caught ball-watching. So, yeah, that's a, it's a collection more than an individual for me.
0: Yep, probably agree. Thurpo... Uh... When I first saw it, I thought, why is he there? But yeah, it is his man, isn't it, that he's followed, um, which forces Ampadu situationally to drop back in. He does fine on that as well. He has to. And then, yeah, it's a collective thing. Um, again, I, I can't really disagree with what you said about Roden there. He had an excellent game. But that was a bit of a iffy moment from him. Um, I'd just say on, on this in general, I'd just prefer the dynamic of having Byron and Pascal there. Um, I think that, that has just developed quite well. It's something we're comfortable with. I don't think it's the reason we didn't, you know, we conceded here, but it's just I wanted to say that I think that that's still what's going to be best for us going forward. But yeah, Cooper did most things in this game. Fine, even if there was like certain small issues here or there, it wasn't anything major. He was pretty okay, but we weren't really tested that often by Plymouth.
1: I think he was carrying the ball out well a few moments. No, tonight. He was, was doing a pretty good job with that. Had something which um, I thought we was going to quite badly miss with Stroud because he was doing a good job of carrying the ball out and getting some good passes forward into good areas. And I, that was something which I noticed more on the rewatch. And I felt like he he did a decent job of get, getting the ball forward. Um, he had four progressive passes and which was the same as Archie Gray had. And I think most people felt Archie Gray was one of the men the match for, for this game. So yeah, I, I felt he, he, had, he had a good game to Cooper quite quietly and just didn't really put a foot wrong, other than maybe the collective thing for the goal. That wasn't just entirely on him. So yeah, it was. A, I think he, he had a solid game overall. To be honest,
0: I think people got a bit caught up in the fact that the ball came down the left side for that, and they were thinking, "Oh yeah, well that's why then because it's Cooper and Fur post side, to of course." But it really wasn't. It, like you said, it was more of a collective thing. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. And Roden also did a couple of really nice carries. One in particular, really, really strong. Um, powerful run. It looked like he was going to lose it at one point, but then he releases it really nicely, really well. Um, so, yeah, both centre backs clearly instructed to do that a little bit. I and mean, they can, because Ampadu will be that sort of covering player if you need him to be, or even one of the full backs will sort of tuck in a little bit. You know, they can do that, so it's fine. Um, yep, yeah. then we had a question from Neil in the Discord about Jorginho Ruter. He asked, uh, this is exactly how he phrased it uh, Does gorgeous Georgie have finishing issues? And if so, what? Is the underlying cause? I'll let you go first on this, but I do have quite a few thoughts.
1: But yeah, with with Georgie, um, I think there's a a few things at play here. One is his youth and general decision making, Mm -hmm. of going against him when it comes to finishing. Also, just generally about finishing. I don't like the judge player so soon into their career at a club because the sort of finishing issues are best looked at over time and. That's more Eve at the end of the season where he matches up if he does oddly miss and, and and not get close to his XG not fair enough but it can he could go on a little purple patch towards the end of the season and, and score a few wonder goals we've seen that he's capable of scoring these type of goals because he's got a few of them uh, time I've seen them' they're, they're beautiful and I can't wait for him to, to pull one out because it's gonna happen and then we'll, we'll be thinking oh well, he doesn't have finishing issues but these sort of things I've said all over time. It's hard to, to quantify someone's finishing over what, I haven't, I haven't 16 games run now, so I, th- I think it's quite bad, but I will say there is some worrying things with the way that he's finishing, and it's been more, more than a few occasions now where the opportunities that he's had have been good, and he's putting them over the bar, or wide, or maybe not making the right decision to shoot when he does, so I think there is some issues, but I still I don't want to make a full judgment on them until the end of the season, but... Other than the finishing. He's gorgeous. <laughs> as Neil says. Um he, he it's also not his role in the side as well. He's not the team's goal scorer. But he's number nine. He has to be the goal scorer. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Roles, not positions, people, roles. His role is the creator for this side. He's created either the most chances in the side, and I think he's created the most big chances in the league. Um, never mind this side. So yeah, he has his assigned role, which is a, as a creator to hold up the ball, it's the ball, he's doing all these things wonderfully, and that is what he's doing well. And the goal scorers in the in the side are Piero and Somerville and Dan James, we have to say now as well because he's been notching quite a few. Recently. Stop! <laughs> Sorry, Adam, we've got we've got to me- mention him. No, I agree. <laughs> but yeah, so there's there's multiple goal scorers in the in the side who are scoring goals and. Jordi's job to make chances for them and that he's doing fine. So yes, he possibly may have an issue with finishing, but it doesn't concern me.
0: You've touched on a lot of what I wanted to talk about, about his role, um and roles in the team, which so yeah, he is a creative forward. Um I have to say, like, we have moved past the time for judging strikers on goals we have, and um, like people listening that still, you know, go by that rule. You need to move past it mate, because <laughs> it's, it's it doesn't have to be like, uh, we've got six goals from Perot, we've got six goals from Somerville, we've got four from Dan James, so yeah, we do not need um, Ruter to be our main goal sc- scoring threat, right? That is true. If he was better at finishing, which you know he might be with time, he's only 21, there's quite a lot of time for him to develop, he could quickly become a really, really top, well-rounded centre forward because he has a lot of good qualities, he can do a lot of things to a really high level um, like we've discussed, his carrying and dribbling ability his creative ability, really really good um, and if he was you know, a better finisher I think he would be playing in the top half of the Premier League let's put it that way, and at the moment he's still playing as a sort of top flight footballer in terms of his level his all round level um, in terms of the finishing, what I would say is um, it's just I don't think he is, the, right now anyway he might be with time but Right now, he's more of a instinctive player, I think, where he probably does better with chances where he has less time to think. Now, that isn't always true because there are times when he's missed good opportunities, when he's not had too much time to think about it. But I think all of his goals pretty much this season have been when he's not, not really had to act on, you know, when he's like through on goal, sees the keeper, sizes him up, has to actually think about his next action. It's more when he can just hit it. With either foot, or he gets into a, an area and he just shoots. And I can kind of like relate to that a little bit because when I, I'm more of a forward player when I play football and I'm better when I don't have time to think, you get out of your feet, you shoot and I score a lot more. When I'm one, through one on one, I'm much, much worse. So I think he's one of those players. Um, when you look at someone like Perot, I think he's kind of good in both ways. I think if you put him through on goal with time to think, he's good. You play him at the bottom when he has to just get out of his feet and shoot he's good at that as well so he's and we've got a large sample size for that like you say you kind of need to judge this over a little bit more time with pro. we've got this huge sort of data set almost um, from Swansea with us now as well and you know he's played like nearly 100 championship games I think it's around 100 championship games now so we can kind of say that pretty definitively but Ruter's got a bit more developing to do so that's what I would say the only thing, other thing I want to add is at Hoffenheim we really really saw this like excellent ball striking at times off both feet and I think we haven't seen that enough yet but yeah I just hope that people are coaching him to be better at it because he doesn't have to be like we've kind of talked about he can his role can be more of a creator but he's getting good chances so if he was a little bit better at finishing you know we'd be talking about him uh, even better than we already do Um, and I love him absolutely love him and he plays with such freedom and joy and happiness and looks like he's enjoying himself even when he misses chances and he doesn't seem to let him get to him because he's still getting in good positions but it is that other stuff he does, the way he gets out of situations and creates chances for both himself and teammates, he's just so excellent at it and I hope he continues it, but yeah, it's just that like I think we've seen in his career a little bit more than what we have with Leeds so far, and I would like him to start finishing a little bit better. That one in particular that he went over the bar, I thought that's kind of the more of the chance that I, I want him to have, where he didn't have too much time to like think about the next action, he just did it, and yeah, he still put that one over. But Yeah, I'm not going to discredit him too much because I genuinely thought he had another really good game. It's just that he probably deserved a goal from from all the stuff that he did, didn't
1: he? He did, Um he did definitely.
0: Anyway, yeah, we had another question from the Discord. This time from Jamie, one of our other favourites that we know and love. Um, Plymouth's substitute. I doesn't mean to say we don't love all of the people in the Discord. I, I must express that, but I've known Jamie for a long time now, so I'll say that um, Plymouth substitutions seem to make them better, whereas ours didn't. Does Farka struggle to use his bench effectively because of the options there, or is it a problem with him? I actually want to go first on the thoughts. All right, yeah, go um It's been a problem for me all season, and it still is. I'm not going to. Like beat around the bush. With this I think it's probably the only thing that's really frustrating me at the moment. Um, it, be that to change the game or to see out a game. I don't think he cons- consistently makes substitutes at the right time. He sometimes makes the right ones, but he just maybe do them a little bit late. Um, or he could make the change earlier. Whatever. I just it's my main gripe at the moment. There's been times when I felt like, oh yeah, that was that was correct. I think against Leicester, um, that he did some good stuff there, and I was pretty happy with what he did. Didn't risk too many players. It just took them off. But here, again, it was a bit of an issue. I don't know what you thought about it. I just kept my hands up kind of sweet and short there.
1: I wasn't as bothered about the substitutions in this game. Um, I felt we were like dominant throughout the opening of the second half. Um, so if we weren't being dominant and weren't creating chances, then I'd probably have more of an issue with him waiting too long to make changes. But in this particular game, I don't think the changes were needed until he made them. And that was... Towards the end, well, not long before they scored actually, when he first made his substitutions in the 78th minute when he made them. So he was bringing, he brought Anthony and Nonto for the two wingers because they were both getting quite tired and they both had pretty good games at Somerville and James. So I, I don't think there was anything too iffy with that. And then not the later subs, they were also maybe a little bit late. but maybe have brought on Bamford and Groove when we went 2 1, so like immediately, so we can. Try to stop it a little bit sooner, but that's maybe the only gripe I would have about this this individual game. But I would agree that um, at points throughout the season he has made subs too late. But in this one, I don't think it was an issue. Uh,
0: Yeah, probably not as much of an issue in this game. Uh, I would agree with that. Probably didn't look like it needed changing as much as it has at other times. I'm probably talking more generally here, but. I would still say that, like, someone like Nanto probably deserves a little bit more of a a chance now to sort of prove his worth. And I don't care which winger he comes on for. He just needs to, like, try and get back in and get a bit more form in his legs. You do
1: care. You do care. You know who you you, you want to take off for him. Oh, yeah, of course. (laughs) If
0: if I had the opportunity, where especially two goals up, and we can give Nanto, like, a bit more of a game when it's more settled because we're two goals up then yeah take Dan James off it's fine the pressing might not be as good then but you've got a better goal threat I think still even with the goal and assist that Dan James has got this season I think is definitely a more technical footballer I'm not slighting James at all I just think it's pretty clear that like he's, he's played at a really high level with Italy. He's done probably more for us in the Premier League than Dan James did at any point, and he didn't play that often. So I think there's a better footballer in there, and I just want to see him like recapture that a little bit. So that's that's one of the main ones. But from this game, I think that's probably the one I was more talking about. But in general, I just think he he doesn't like making too many changes and kind of wants to trust a lot of the players out there. And they get that after a half-time team talk sometimes, you want to just like give them the opportunity to to get things together and back on track. And we did against Norwich, for example, but... Um, in other instances, it just feels like, you know, freshen things up, give other players a go. And Padu still has played every single minute of every single game in the League and Cup and he's going away with Wales. And this guy's played a lot of football for a guy who's only 23. Um, so yeah, it's just things like that. I'd, like give him a little rest sometimes if you have to, um, especially when it's like. 2-0 in the 80th minute they haven't even scored yet you know it wouldn't have been such a bad thing but oh well it doesn't matter too much um i'm being quite nitpicky with that because i think fark has grown on me a lot recently uh, he's impressed me a lot more in a lot of other ways as we've kind of discussed with his tactics and stuff like that so yeah um we also had a question from our patron from josie uh she said i'm noticing pro more and more and he looks like he is linking up with other players in the build-up more. Do these stats bear this out? He was my player of the match yesterday. What did you think about that?
1: I agree entirely. I felt like he was getting involved a lot in earlier build-up, more than what we have seen. And even though he scored, that wasn't part of his game for me. Um, He was just generally doing uh, the the right moments to drop, need, and receive. And he was driving forward with ball a lot more in this game. And the stats also do bear this out. Um, This game, he had the most touches in the middle third of the pitch. Um, so he was clearly dropping into that third a lot more than what he has been doing in other games. So yeah, both my judgment and the stats also bear this out, Josie. So yeah, he was definitely more involved in this game.
0: Yep, I agree. Much better again. Not just receiving the ball in better areas and being more involved in linking play. He was also, like you say, he's more okay out of possession in the role we're using in him now. um. And yeah he just needs to keep doing what he's doing really. um I'm glad he got a goal. felt like he needed one a little bit' yeah, just, just for his own his own self a decent goal in the end i like I like the run off Somerville. Somerville obviously just times it so perfectly. He's just amazing at the moment that first forty five from him was was excellent again um but yeah, um, just need to try and find him on the edge of the box more often like, or around that sort of area because he keeps finding those positions and not always found. But yeah, I think he's he's more involved in play. So I am happy with his contribution myself as well. Um, yeah, on the subject of players, just really quickly, who are you most impressed by in this game? I know that Josie said that for her, Pirot was probably her player of the match, but who would you say for you
1: stood out? For me, it was Archie Gray. But he was. I, t- I said on Twitter if anyone's seen that, I felt he was one of the best players on the pitch, if not in the man match. Um, right. He impressed me a lot in this game, and because in previous games where he's impressed me, it's mainly been his out of possession game, which has impressed me, which was still just as good in this game. He did a good job out of possession. He was quick at hooking into the players who were receiving. From where he was following them deep and doing it in, in, in the right way. And he, I don't think he was beat 1v1 in this game. So, and later on when they brought on their their own 17-year-old lad, I forget what his name is, uh, but um, he looked like he had a lot of threat to him and he didn't let him get past him, even though he'd been playing a lot of football in this game and a lot of football in general. So this lad will have been a lot fresher than he, he was, but he was just generally dominant. And he was like, there's certain moments in this game where he's dominating players who were like, Eight years older than him, just physically dominating them, just wriggling past them, wrestling the ball off them, sending them for a hot dog. It's just, he was fantastic in this game in possession. He was a lot more persistent than what we've seen in previous games. And I think his in possession side of his game is, is finally reaching up to his out of possession side. So it just really shows that the maturity that we're seeing is extending further and he's just growing the more he plays. And I keep saying that I want him to have a rest, but when he's playing like this, I can see why Fark doesn't want to rest him because he's just so good at the moment and he does not look like a 17 year old playing in the championship. And I can see why. Liverpool have been watching. Um, yeah, I purposely
0: left that out of the news because I yeah. wanted to touch on it here, but go on.
1: Yeah, I can I can see why Liverpool are watching him because he's such a versatile player. I've seen now that he's just slotted straight into playing at right back and he's playing week in, week out in the championship as well as playing multiple games over every international break because he's, he can't get a rest ever. He's going to die for long. <laughs> I hope not. Um, but yeah, he's, he's just a phenomenal talent and I can't wait. We're really, really hope we can keep hold of him. And I think if we don't go up, we're at big risk of losing him. I do think that if we do stay up, sorry, if we do go up, sorry, that we'll, we'll probably keep hold of him. Because he's got close ties to Leeds and he'll want to play in the Premier League with Leeds at least for a couple of seasons, I think. So, uh, But who knows? A yeah. of the bigger clubs in the Premier League and playing in the Champions League and all the rest of it is very strong. So we'll have to see if he turned out to be a good lad or a snack.
0: <laughs> oh, good. That's good. Um yeah, good niche reference there. Um yeah, I, I, that article that's come out this week, obviously the links are for around 40 million which seems maybe a little bit excessive when you think Jude Bellingham went for something in the region of 20 to 25 million to Dortmund from Birmingham. I guess our hand would be strengthened if we we get into the Premier League though, so maybe maybe that would be sort of the the figure we'd want to to sell him for um yeah, his development is pretty crazy at the moment, though. Uh, the only thing I would say is that that article was <laughs> comparing him to Trent because he could play right back in central midfield. He's just not the same player at all. His yeah. skill set is not like Trent's, and it's really funny. Um, just because it's a positional thing rather than a like skill set thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, I, mean, I touch- saw
1: some Liverpool fans saying that he's a ten. <laughs> <laughs> well, he played. He played a quite a bit. He played more of like an attacking eight or
0: ten role in the academy, and I guess. That makes sense, but yeah, not for us, not in the first team. He's, ne- um,
1: he's never played once as a 10 or close to a 10. He's much more been a defensive-minded player when he's been playing for us.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. so far, 100%, 100%. But yeah, we we saw more of that sort of technical attacking side that we've seen in the in the 21s. And Something I've, I've said about Gray a lot is that I love his maturity in terms of just showing for the ball, not shying away from it, wanting to be on it, it doesn't get flustered or affected by giving the ball away or straight passes or whatever. And this game, like you say, the carrying and the press resistance, like in possession, was just top top draw. Um, so you can see why. Lots of big clubs are probably watching him, not just Liverpool. Uh, even though that report has come out. Um. So I wanted to give a nod to him as well. Yeah, but you've touched on it a lot there. So I'll, I'll give a bit more of a nod to my other two favourite players in this game. One of them was Jorginho Routet. We've talked a lot about him already, so I won't touch on this too much. But I think he does everything really well in this game except score. So fair enough to him. And then the other one that... I, oh, no, actually, I wanted to say <laughs> that pass he made for Joel Perreault oh. was out of this world. Yeah, that
1: was just unreal. Just Not, not <laughs> even just the pass, the turn before the pass as well. I mean, so the, the way he turned out of pressure... And I just heard I was listening to it on the rewatch on l e t v So you just had um, Conan, Diego saying, "What's he making that turn for?" Oh yeah, to to get into space. Like, oh, you idiot! <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah. it's just, yeah,
0: his execution of things like that just so good. Like the spin he gets on it, and and the weight of it, and yeah, like you say, the the fact he can just turn out of so many situations like that. And just come up with big moments. He's just amazing. Um, and I love him so much. And he's so happy all the time. Yeah. Uh, and the other one was, yeah, Joe Roden, so dominant. Uh, haven't got all the stats down, but I think he did actually get a player in a match for us on the Twitter vote. Um, so dominant in the air. Uh, there was just like he maybe didn't crown himself a glory on the goal but then a few other players didn't and then there was one shonky pass that he played which under pressure which wasn't great but other than that I genuinely can't remember a, another action or moment he had where I thought oh shit like he was really 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 good um, in most defensive actions I do of have the behind it
1: if you'd like to hit him. Go 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 so, uh, so yeah he had two inceptions four tackles, seven clearances, he wasn't beaten in a 1v1 duel, he had one of those and regards to aerial duels he won three and lost one. Sorry. He lost Surprised he even lost. Yeah, but, but yeah, fair enough. But, but next swim, Liam Cooper, he won three and lost three. So yeah. He okay, really, there so there you go. So yeah, so and he, he
0: also try. had a nice moment for the Dars uh, which has been shared on Twitter where he makes a, <laughs> a really good tackle and then he sort of starts pumping himself up and pumping the crowd up and shouting and it was very very Jansen reminiscent. I was just about but... to say
1: the exact same thing that was Sir Pontus. <laughs> it was a, it so, was so
0: Pontus. But he uh he's really really impressing me and I don't even think he's our strongest center back at the club I think he's second which Kind of says a lot. I think we've probably got the best pair when they're both fit. Um so hopefully Pascal isn't out for long because they really do complement each other very, very that. well indeed. Um but yeah, with that it kind of brings us towards the end. So I just wanted to very quickly just have a little kind of overview. With with game sixteen passing, we've now just hit just over a third of the season. Um and we now have an international break. So bit bit of an overview really on how we feel with the hectic Christmas schedule just around the corner. How would you rate our promotion chances now? I mean, obviously good, but go into it a little bit more than that.
1: Yeah, well, I'm quite optimistic, and it seems that the our current form has coincided with both Ipswich and Leicester getting a little bit of an iffy if- form. No, Ipswich hasn't been as bad as what Leicester has. They've just um, drawn a couple rather than losing. That's Thank you, Sam Greenwood. Right. I just want to say that I'm really annoyed that his first free kick goal <laughs> at senior level was not for us. The amount of free kicks we saw him banging for it for the under twenty ones, and he I mean, does that. It, it still did around. us a favour, so we'll thank you. Yeah, for that it. that's the only consolation here is that it did do us a favour. But yeah, it was a fantastic free kick. If anyone hasn't watched it, then I would encourage you to watch it because it's a lovely free kick. I think it's about twenty five yards out and just clips the inside of the left post as it goes in. It's it
0: might be a little bit more. It's like yeah, yeah it's like I wasn't 25 sure twenty five to twenty eight. Yeah, it's it all was, all that region very yeah. good. Yeah,
1: was well, a very good free kick, and he hits it perfectly. And he's apparently having a pretty decent um, season over at Borough. So I think I'm maybe worth looking into because um, we've got Borough coming up not too far away, if I remember rightly. So that that could be interesting to see what, what he's been doing for them and where he's been playing and whatnot. But yeah, overall, our intensity, I think we're looking in good shape. And I, yeah, I do back us to keep us up. But there is also a very very, very tough schedule coming up in Christmas a lot of hard teams for us to get by and one after another so it's going to be a tough test but at the moment I think I do back them the, the way that Fark is showing changes to his approach especially for the out of possession stuff it's filling me with more confidence that we should be able to keep closing that gap but it will obviously be hard so <laughs> I, I don't want to get too overexcited it's still a lot, a lot of football left to play it's still got two thirds of the season left so yeah don't get too excited yet. but Yeah, yeah.
0: I've got the words well placed written down mm. on here and that is exactly where we are. Um, I think if you look at our schedule, I think people are underestimating just how tough this Christmas run-in is. I think even teams like Coventry, and you look at their league position, it's maybe not telling the full picture about how decent they are. They've drawn a lot of games. That's the main reason they're down there. They've actually played quite well in a decent number of their games at the start of the season especially. Um, and then you've got Sunderland and you've got Preston, you've got Ipswich and you've got West Borough. Brom, so Borough, yeah, Blackburn, like these are not bad teams, we've got a really really tough run
1: Yeah, I know I know Dan particularly rates Blackburn and um, Gondal, Tom Arson, is it? Yes, is he, yeah.
0: yes it is and, and like they're probably uh, again, better than some the of their parts, because um, the squad isn't absolutely amazing, but they seem to be a fairly decent team, pretty tough to beat. Um, anyway, yeah, so that is important to point out but like you said we're pretty well placed to do well in a lot of those games I think both in terms of our approach, personnel coming back as well, big and important in Christmas uh, we had keeping up players fit so hopefully the likes of Spence, Byram and Stralke are fine sooner rather than later but also po- important to point out that Ipswich probably have the hardest run of any team in the Championship over the Christmas period so they're definitely one to look out for and Leicester have hit a bit of a wobble just before it so that's good um, but I don't want to focus too much on them, I think we just need to try and win ourselves and We are doing so. Six of the last seven. I think if we just keep playing the way we are in most of the games over the kind of like, I kind of dismiss, discount the last, the first three games, sorry. A little bit because we're still in the window. There were a lot of things that were going wrong around that time with players striking and business wasn't quite finished. The squad was really, really thin at that point. Um, but since then, we've been one of the best teams in the league in the last 13 games. I think we're second in the form table in that time, um, if I do the maths rightly, or if we're not second, we're third. But it's really, really like really good for for the most part. Um, and I, I'm, I'm I'm happy with where we are, and I think that January is also coming up, and hopefully we do see a little bit of. Investment or recruitment, even if it's loans, a couple of really important loans maybe could be very useful in a couple of areas at least. But we'll have to see. Um, I'm still feeling very, very good about us at this moment in time. And not just because we've beaten a team like Plymouth 2 1, which you kind of expect to, but I just think in general, like over the course of, of a while now, we've been pretty good. So yeah. But with that, that brings me to the end of the podcast. So I must talk about the Patreon because as Jacob mentioned in our group chat, Tom Alderson will kill us all if I don't do it. Um <laughs> throughout the season, we've been putting out bonus content by our Patreon platform. Patreon is a media platform in which you can show support to creators you enjoy and receive bonus content in return. We put out Patreon only podcasts and analysis, articles, and videos, and our patrons also get all our podcasts ad-free, plus early access to our preview podcasts. Um we use these funds to enable us to pay for opposition fan interviews, and it generally really helps us to improve the quality of the podcasts, uh, the preview pods in general, um, and the quality of these podcasts to grow further. Um, so if you are interested, please do sign up. We've got a few things in the works. Uh, so our patrons over the international break will have a Q&A podcast, I believe, and also episode two of the Under 21s podcast. Featuring a report on Charlie Crew, which Martin and Dan are either doing very shortly or have already done.
1: We've not done it yet. Um, we've, we're still wanting to watch a bit more game time to get a really good informed report on Crew. We don't want to do it. That's hard. And, and um, we've both watched a couple of games, but we want to watch just, uh, just to really nail down found um, some weaknesses. Um, it's, an, it's an interesting player. It's
0: but very soon you yes. will have all of that in your ears um, so if you want to access this content you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash asawpatreon that's everything for today um, we'll see our patrons back with our bonus pods but for all our other listeners we'll see you when we preview our next opponents after the international break which is Roverim, uh, who are currently in search of a new manager don't have one at the moment they just sacked theirs today so that'll be interesting as well we won't <laughs> we won't really know what to do for the preview because yeah, be, yeah. it's gonna be a bit of a funky one but we'll see <laughs> um, but for now I'll say thank you to Martin thank you to Adam and thank you to dear listeners we'll see you ahead of that game but enjoy a nice break from club football in the meantime have a great week and goodbye <laughs>